copy of the scriptures. Let's look together this morning in Jonah chapter 1. You'll notice it's printed for you in the bulletin. I think the first six verses are there. <clears throat> but this morning we're going to focus on the first three. That's all we're going to look at today. And I hope you can understand me because sometimes I can't hear myself. I'm really stopped up. And so I apologize if I may sound too loud or too soft. I'm not sure what I'm doing. Jonah chapter 1, or the first three verses. As we come to God's Word, um, sometimes we approach God's Word uh, as if it's duty. We, we see God's Word and we know it's important and we think to ourselves, it's, it's my duty to read God's Word and understand it. And brothers and sisters, that is profoundly true. Um, on the other hand, I want you to know that as we come to study God's Word, um, I'm not about to read this to you so that you can have more information, so that you can uh, get a higher score on your trivia crack. It's far more than duty and far more than trivia. What I'm about to read to you is life. It's life. So hear this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we are here this morning because we desperately need your word. And there are always going to be things that distract us. There will always be things and always be reasons for us to not think about our lives and not think about your truth and not think about your news being good. Jesus, thank you for coming into this world to restore sight to the blind and to enable the lame to walk and to liberate the captives. Because Jesus, as we, as we sit and stand here, as we are here in your presence, we are all in need of being set free. We are all in need of being able to see a little bit more clearly. And we are all in need for our strength to increase, that we might run the race and the course of our lives to your glory. So Holy Spirit, open our eyes, strengthen our hearts and our arms and our legs, and set us free with the truth. For your glory, Father. For your glory, Jesus. For your glory, Holy Spirit. Amen. As we gather here, never ever forget that God is on mission. God is determined with His infinite power to extend His glory everywhere. And He will never ever give up on His plan. He is determined to spread His glory. And that will not change. And what that means is something very profound that Todd shared with us last week from John chapter 4. What that means is that God takes His grace to really, really messy places. 
God is committed to spreading His glory in messy places and in messy lives and in messy people everywhere. Two weeks ago, two weeks before, or a week before that, we also looked at this, that God is so profoundly committed to His glory that He desires that His people live in hostile environments. We looked at that in Daniel chapter 1. And all of that was preparation for us looking at the book of Jonah together. Because I want you to understand there are two big themes that run throughout Jonah that we're going to explore. One is the grace of God and how God cares for our souls and our lives and how God cares for our place. He cares for the place that we live. He cares for our hearts and where we live. And God desires us to thrive in very difficult societal environments, in very difficult places, he wants us to thrive. Now, that means that a question immediately is put on our plate. It's a question that all of us must think about because this question doesn't apply if you think your life isn't messy and if you think that the place where you live isn't that difficult. If you think you have a smooth life and everything is wonderful and that everything inside in your heart and everything in your mind is perfect, then this question has no relevance at all for you. And if you think God doesn't care about the working environment, the care about the place that you live, and, think, and you just think Greenville is the most amazing place in the world and it has no problems, then this question doesn't apply. Here's the question. Who do you have in your life that relentlessly loves you? Who do you have in your life that loves you with, in, with relentless love? I'm not talking about somebody that's stalking you. I'm not talking about some, you know, psycho. It's far deeper than that. Who in your life loves you with all that they are? Who in your life loves you so much that they understand the perfect amount of being transparent and the perfect amount of giving you freedom. And oh, by the way, is always willing to listen to anything that you want to say at any time, in any place, in any situation. Beloved, the only answer to that question is God. And we're going to see that as we look through Jonah together. That's why it should be no surprise to you that as Jonah begins in verse 1, it begins with reminding us that God is on mission. Listen to how it begins. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... You see, it starts by reminding us... It, I love this. I love how God reminds us that He takes notice of what's happening in the world. This tells you from the very beginning that God sees everything that's going on. He sees everyone that exists. He sees everything. He doesn't just see that you're here. He doesn't just observe the decisions that you make. He knows everything about you. He knows the reason why you do everything. He knows the motive behind why we do anything. God takes notice of absolutely everything. The world is very, very small to God. And He is deeply involved. And He takes great notice 
with what's going on. And in particular, what this verse tells us is that God takes notice of the brokenness and the evil and the sin that is in the world. God looks around and He understands the sin in the world and the brokenness of the world. He understands our sin. He sees the brokenness of the world and He sees evil. And just in case you didn't notice from the first couple of verses, God is repulsed by it. He is repulsed by my sin. He is repulsed by the brokenness of the world. He is repulsed by the evil that exists in the world that we live in. And that's why this verse also reminds us that God is committed to action. He is committed to doing something. He is committed to doing something about my sin and your sin, about our brokenness and about the evil that we participate in and the evil that is present in the world. He is moved to action. That's why in the very next verse, he summons Jonah. He says, the evil in Nineveh has risen up before me. Jonah, let's get moving. Jonah, you've got to go. You've got to go to Nineveh. Now, on one hand, isn't this extraordinary? Think about it from Jonah's standpoint just for a minute. Isn't this extraordinary? Jonah knows exactly what God wants him to do. Isn't that wonderful? Oftentimes in our lives, we wonder, what in the world does God want me to do? What do I do in this situation? What do I do in that situation? I'm not even sure why I'm here. Well, Jonah knows. God wants me to go to Nineveh. And he wants me to go to Nineveh to tell people about God. Jonah's not supposed to go to Nineveh and say, hey, let me tell you a few quick lessons of life I've learned. Let me tell you about some things I picked up in my culture because my culture is a lot different from your culture. Jonah is to go to Nineveh and talk about God. He's supposed to go to Nineveh and explain who God is. He's supposed to talk about the living God. And this was really hard for Jonah, as you probably know. It's really hard for Jonah because Nineveh is a world power. And Nineveh has the reputation of being brutal and completely overbearing with its authority and its desires and their, excuse me, their way of life. There are accounts given of how those in Nineveh and Assyria brutally murder people. And Jonah knows about this. It's not just that this is a world power that has great power, that is exerting that power in all kinds of inappropriate ways. It's that Jonah doesn't like these people. He sees them as an enemy. And Jonah knows that they perceive him in exactly the same way. He doesn't like them, and they don't like him. But Jonah has a very clear sense of purpose. He has a very clear sense of what God wants him to do. Now, just in case you've wandered off, come on back in, because here's the question for you. Do you have a sense of purpose? What is it that God wants you to do? What is your purpose that God has given you? And, and don't make this too complicated. You know, this is what God wants you to do. Let me tell you a little bit about our purpose, mine included. 
God wants us to be a forgiving people. God has purposed that we would be those that forgive. And for some of you, that may mean that, God, that you know that God wants you to forgive. God also wants us to love those that are around us. As a matter of fact, He wants us to love deeply. He wants us to love from the heart. He doesn't want us to just exist around other people. He wants us to love other people. He even says that, God even says, as much as is possible with you, be at peace with all men. Now that's a pretty significant purpose. Here's another purpose. If you're married, God wants you to love your spouse. He wants you to profoundly, deeply love them. And if you're not married, you need to know that you do not have some type of disease. God loves you just as much if you're single as if you're married. And you can love others whether you're married or not. If you have children, God wants you to love your children and pursue your children. God wants all of us, a purpose for our lives is to Work every day, live out our callings, work in faith. We are to do everything all the time, whether we're eating, whether we're drinking, no matter what we're doing, we are to do everything in faith. You see, don't make this question too complicated about what is God's purpose, what is God's purpose for me? You see, He's laid out for all of us what His purpose is, and it's very clear. And oftentimes we want to skip over the purpose that God has for us because we actually want something else. We oftentimes are waiting for something better or something bigger or something different. And God's purpose is very clear for us. It's very clear. So don't miss out on what your purpose is just because you want to do something different. Don't get too wrapped up in not understanding what God's purpose is for you. Because if you asked Him for something, and if you're wondering what you're supposed to do, and you don't know yet, either He's asking you to wait because He's going to make it more clear, or He's saying, make a decision. And make it in faith. And know that I will be there no matter what you decide, and I will work all things for good. Don't be paralyzed in your life. God's purposes are often very, very, very plain. Well, Jonah had a very clear purpose from God. And notice what Jonah does. He runs away. Isn't that striking? Yeah, if you want to connect some dots, loving your spouse, you might want to do the opposite. Working out your faith in the workplace, that's going to be hard and you might not want to. Loving your children, being satisfied in your marriage, being satisfied in being single. Yeah, all that stuff can be hard. Forgiving, very hard. And we can want to do the opposite, right? You see, we're no different than Jonah. Jonah has God's purpose, and Jonah runs away. As a matter of fact, he gets on a boat, and he heads for this land called Tarshish. Now, that's basically modern-day Spain. So here's what happened. God said, Jonah... I want you to go east. And Jonah said, great, I'm going west. 
God, do you want me to go this way? Well, I'm sorry, I'm going to go that way. And I'm going to pay the fare. As a matter of fact, maybe something happened like this. Maybe Jonah was out on a stroll. This is complete speculation, but awfully uh, descriptive of my life at times. Jonah perhaps was walking around thinking to himself, I don't want to do what God wants me to do. There's a boat that's going to take me the opposite direction, and I have the exact amount of money in my pocket. This must be a sign. God didn't really mean for me to go to Nineveh. He actually wants me to go somewhere else. Otherwise, I wouldn't have this amount of money, the exact amount of money in my pocket, so therefore I'm justified in paying the fare, getting on the boat, and going the other direction. Perhaps something like that happened. If that wasn't the scenario that happened with Jonah, I tell you, it has happened to me in my life. I've made excuses a lot for things that God wanted me to do and made up signs that weren't really there at all. Seeing a sign not for what it really was. What it really was is a temptation. Jonah wants to go the opposite direction. You see, this summons all of us to think. And, and, and actually, what is so beautiful about this, in a way, this sounds strange, but do you notice what the text says? Those of you that like to write in your Bibles, you can write this in your Bible, and it's literally true. This says Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. Did you, re- did you read that? What that says literally is Jonah ran from God's face. A couple weeks ago, I was on study leave, and I was reading some things on Jonah, and one particular author I read picked up on this idea of running from the face of God, and he said this, oftentimes when, when a baby is born, one of the first things that a baby's eyes focus on is the face of the parent. And as the baby continues to develop and as the baby grows, that those eyes looking up at the parent, the baby understands and begins to understand and grows in its understanding of who they are in the world by looking at the face of the parent. When a child looks at a parent and the parent smiles and, and laughs, And all the things, all the funny faces we make as parents. That is communicating something profound to the child. Because as the child grows, it understands its place in the world relative to how the parent looks at them. So when the parent smiles and when the parent praises them and loves them, over time the child begins to hear and understand what's going on. And the child understands a little bit about life and a little bit about the world and a little bit about where they belong. And when this says that Jonah is running away from the face of God, when you run away, when you run away from the face of God, you are left to yourself. When we run away from God's face, we are left to stare at ourselves in the mirror through every circumstance. And we try to figure out our lives, and we try to figure out life, and we try to figure out everything through what we see in ourselves and what we think in ourselves. In other words, we try to live our lives without this sense of transcendence. Because you see, God 
gives our lives meaning. God, when God smiles at us, it means that He loves us. And when He speaks to us, it means that He wants to communicate. And when He speaks in His Word to us and explains our lives, He's saying, this is how I want you to live, and this is the way the world is supposed to be. And when we run away from God's face, we're saying, I want to do this on my own. And I want to define who I am. And I want to define my life. And I want to define reality apart from you. This is why, even in the best of parents that we have had, that have loved us and loved us well, whenever they have loved us well, there's just been a glimpse of the great love of the living God. So you see, when Jonah runs here, he's running from the face of God, and it is profoundly important to notice that. Because all of us need to think about why it is that we run. It's important for us to think about why in the world does Jonah run? Why do you run? Why do I run? Sometimes I run because, I don't know, I'm busy. Sometimes I get busy and I just want to run away. Run away from responsibilities, run away from God, run away from seeing His face and understanding His face and His disposition toward me. Other times I run because they're just other things that I think are more important. Now many of us would never say that out loud, right? But our lives show it. That there are other things that are more important to us than God and His people and His church and worship. Oftentimes, even this can play in. And this gets a little bit closer to Jonah. Afraid of success. Have you ever been paralyzed by the possibility of success and you decided to run? I bet you have. I bet there was something that could have happened in your life. Some decision that you wanted to make and you were so close and yet at the last moment you were terrified because you were afraid of the, of the success. So you ran. Well, what about shame? Isn't this a huge incentive to run? We feel so much shame. We think about shame. We think about our own shame and we think God could never love me. God could never forgive me. And so... I have so much shame, I'm just going to run away? Well, all those and perhaps others and many more are true. You see, the fact of the matter is, beloved, there will always be a path to run from God. You will always find a reason to run from God. You always will. We will always think of ways and always think of reasons to run from God. But do you know why Jonah ran? Perhaps he was afraid of success a little bit. But do you know why Jonah ran? If you look in chapter 4 and verse 2, it tells you. Now this might shock you, but hang in. If you've drifted off, come on back in and buckle up, because get ready. Jonah ran from God because he knew that God was gracious, and that God was merciful, and that God was patient and that God would forgive. Jonah ran from God not because he didn't have enough information. Jonah had all the information he needed. 
Jonah didn't run from God because he was afraid. Jonah ran from God because he knew what God was going to do. God, he knew that God was gracious and that God was merciful. He knew that God was a God who forgives. He knew that when he went to Nineveh, he was going to have to declare, look, let me explain your life. You have drifted away from God and that, is re- that, that repulses God. But he comes to you through me in mercy and in grace and he is willing to forgive. As a matter of fact, there's nothing you can do to earn back his favor. Jonah knew that God was gracious and merciful, and that's why he ran. It wasn't because he was confused. There was a problem in Jonah's heart. Just like in our hearts, we have a problem. And isn't it somewhat ironic that when you think about Jonah, as we look at Jonah together, that God wants us to understand something about the power of sin through a pastor? Here's Jonah. Here he is, called of God, called to be a pastor. And God uses Jonah to teach us about sin. He uses Jonah to remind us, oh yeah, pastors sin just like everybody else. Pastors need God's forgiveness and need the gospel just like everyone else. God uses a pastor to teach us about sin. You see, here's what Jonah thought. Now, here, stay with me. Here's the way Jonah thought. If I go to Nineveh, God is going to be gracious to people that don't deserve it. They're not my people, Jonah says. They are brutal people. They are wicked people. They are evil people. They they. They brutally kill others, and they don't deserve this grace of God. They don't deserve His mercy. They don't deserve God to be patient. And if I go there, the Ninevites are going to receive the grace of God, and they don't deserve it. Let me tell you something. This is nothing new. You see, back in the beginning in the garden, Satan came to Eve, and he said, You know, Eve, I know God has said this, but has He really said Has he really said this? Because if you take this fruit, what will happen is you actually will be more like him and you will know good and evil. You'll know more. And as you know, Eve took the fruit and so did Adam. And so all of us fell with them. And we all manifest this sin in our lives. You see, ever since, ever since that first sin in the world, Every one of us have a tendency to live as if God is really against me. We have a tendency to assume, you know, God can't be trusted. God's trying to hold me down. God doesn't want me to reach my full potential. I can't trust God. And so what that looks like practically is this. I decide if my obedience gets what I want. I decide if my obedience will get the result that I want. You see, because of sin, we have this conditional love for God. We love Him as long as we, as long as we think He'll do what we want. We, love, we say we love God, but actually we just love the fact that we think we control God. 
We actually say we love God, but we actually love ourselves. It's a self-centered love of God and a self-focused love of God. The dial of our hearts is set on God is the best way for me to control my life. And if something is going to happen through my obedience that I don't want, then I'm not going to do it. You see, that's Jonah. He's willing to obey God as long as he gets what he wants. And when he sees that these people don't deserve his grace or are going to receive God's grace, he wants nothing to do with it. He runs the opposite direction. You see, this mentality that we all have is very, very deep. We all want to obey if things will work out the way that we want them to work out. And beloved, that's why it should be no surprise to you and no surprise to me the way God delivers the gospel here in these verses. Did you catch it? God summons Jonah to go and notice what he says. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. You see, God delivers the gospel to us in the midst of running because He wants us to understand that the gospel, when it first comes to us, is going to contradict your heart. The gospel is going to contradict your identity and it is going to contradict your feelings. And we all live in a culture that says, if you feel a certain way, then that's who you are or that's the truth. And the gospel comes to you and says, no, your feelings don't determine who you are. Your feelings don't determine what's right and what's wrong. The gospel comes to our hearts and says, and and, and the gospel says no to our heart. It says no. No. It says your heart is fundamentally flawed. You're not basically good. You don't do good things to glorify God. You do good things to serve yourself. Your heart is fundamentally flawed and sinful. That's what the Gospel first says to us. And the Gospel says to us, you are trying to build your identity on something other than what I say, God says. So your identity can't be part God and then what I really want and what I really feel and who I feel that I am. The Gospel says that your identity is completely bound up with what Jesus has done. So that through His death and through His resurrection, you have forgiveness and righteousness and you are a child of God. And He has given you power to fight against sin and to glorify Him in everything that you're doing. The gospel at times, excuse me, the gospel exclusively comes to us and at first it is against us. And that doesn't feel good. Let me tell you, it doesn't feel good. The message of the gospel is not to further the good parts in your life. And the message of the gospel is not to make up the gap from what your bad things produce. The gospel comes into our hearts and changes us completely so that our hearts are new and therefore they are now good. 
And the gospel comes into our lives and says your identity is Christ. And what He has done for you that you didn't ask for. And if you're honest, you didn't even want. That's why we can sing, Hallelujah, He has found me. And the gospel comes to us and it says, your feelings are all messed up. And you need me to change your heart. You need me to give you a brand new identity. And you need me to help inform all of your feelings. That's why, you see, God comes first and says, cry out against them. Because we all need to hear that God is everything for us in Christ. You see, the truth of this is that God is for Nineveh, right? If you don't believe me, read the last couple verses of chapter 4. God is for Nineveh. God is for Jonah. God is for you and for me. But oftentimes what has to happen is that we have to hear the against we have to hear no. We have to hear we're wrong. We have to understand our responsibility before we can receive and understand how we are made right with God. You see? We've got to hear the no from God before we understand the yes. We've got to understand that the work of Christ, His death and resurrection, was incredibly costly and we could never pay it and never would want to. That's why it's all of grace. As we conclude this morning, there's a man that made this great statement about these verses here and it stuck with me. I read them a number of years ago. And this is what he said. One man said, When you run from God, you will never get where you're trying to go. And you will always pay the fare. But when you follow God and you receive His gospel and, and, and live by His gospel, you will always get where you're supposed to go. And He has paid the fare. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we thank you for these first few verses in the book of Jonah. They remind us an awful lot about how committed you are to spreading your glory, how often we run from you, mainly because we want conditional obedience. We want our obedience to get what we want, just like Jonah. And Lord, your gospel, your good news comes to us and says that we're wrong. It tells us no and that you are making us new. Lord, would you help us to see and understand in our lives very quickly where we tried to build our identity around something other than Jesus? Would you help us to perceive very quickly when we're acting and deciding and determining things based on our feelings. And would you help us to know, Lord, that you care about our hearts and that you want our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for being for 
messy people and messy places. And thank you for committing to spread your glory right there. Through Jesus, I pray. Amen.